is so good to see all of your smiling faces. For those of you who I haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Ryan and I am blessed to serve this incredible church family as a lead pastor. And today I actually get to kick off our brand new sermon series that we are calling Finding Freedom. Yeah, Brianna is excited, okay? The rest of you will get there, I promise. All right, so our aim with this series is actually to do a deep dive into the book of Galatians. We're going to spend six weeks in the book of Galatians, and our goal is to help you come to a deeper understanding of the transformational power of the gospel. I don't know if you know this, but here at Awaken, we believe that it is only the gospel, only the good news of Jesus Christ that can truly bring us freedom. I know the world may want to tell you otherwise, but it is only the gospel that frees you to live with confidence in the midst of uncertainty. It is only the gospel that frees you to live in unity in the midst of strife, and it is only the gospel that frees you to live with joy in the midst of suffering. So those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover throughout this series. But our desire and our prayer is that this series would lead you to finding the freedom that you were meant to live in, the freedom that you were created for, a prayer is that you would feel liberated by the gospel to experience the life you were designed to live. But that's going to take something from you, right? This is a two-way conversation. And here's what it's going to take from you. It's going to take some humility. It's going to take a willingness to redefine what you thought freedom to be. See, the truth is, I think all of us have at least some warped sense of what freedom actually is. For most of us, we tend to believe that freedom is the absence of limitations, right? That freedom is the, the absence of restrictions. We're like that little kid that doesn't want any boundaries at home. That's what we believe freedom to be. But the reality is that true freedom can actually only be experienced with a proper view of our limitations, with a proper view of our boundaries or the environment that we were meant to live within. Are you all following with me? True freedom can actually only be experienced with that proper understanding of the environment we were meant to live within. I want to illustrate this point to you, and in order to do so, I'm going to invite a very special friend up here. My wife, Lindsay, is going to bring up my friend, Otto. Would you all put your hands together for Otto? None of you were expecting a betta fish. All right, so this is my friend, Otto, and as you can see, Otto... He's hiding right now, but he's confined to this little fishbowl, right? But that's a good thing. He's designed to live in the water. It's where he was designed to live and breathe. And he's free to do as he pleases so long as he stays in the water. Same can be said of any fish, right? Not just a fish in a bowl, but any fish. As long as they stay in the water, they're free to do as they please. But what would happen if I freed Otto from his restrictions, what would happen if I liberated him from the restrictions the world wants to put on him, right, and let him live out his freedom? Well, we all know what would happen, right? If I took the fish out of the water, he'd probably flop around for a few minutes. It wouldn't take long until that freedom took away even his freedom to live. So by removing his constraints, he actually becomes less free, doesn't he? Now see where I'm going with this. See, it's not in his nature to live outside of the water. He was designed to live in the water. So what we may see as a limitation is actually the very thing that gives him his freedom. See, the same is true 
for us, family. Because the world wants us to believe that the gospel puts these constraints and these limitations on us. When the reality is that the gospel is the very thing that brings us back to the freedom that we were designed to live within. Back to the freedom of an intimate relationship with God. See, family, that's the environment we were created for. That is the water we were meant to swim in, dwelling with God in paradise. And that's what we had, right? That's what we had all the way back in the garden, back in the book of Genesis. It was true and total freedom. But then Adam and Eve did what we so often do, and they sought to go beyond their freedom, beyond their limitations, to pursue something that they thought was more freedom. They chose to break free from those things they thought that were, were binding them, only to come to find out that they were separated from God, like fish out of water. But this is where the good news of the gospel comes in. Because just like little Otto, if he were to be out of the fishbowl, couldn't put himself back into the fishbowl, we on our own are unable to reconcile that relationship with God. We are incapable on our own of returning back to paradise to dwell with God. But Jesus came. I love that phrase. But Jesus came and he broke the power of sin in our lives. And by his death and by his resurrection, he has created a way for us to be restored and returned to that right relationship with God. So rather than trying to be a fish out of water, can I encourage you this morning to humble yourselves? to redefine what you think freedom is and to swim around, if you will, in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I truly believe God is going to use not just this message today, but this series to open our eyes to the freedom he has, he has created for us to live within. Man, would you pray with me, family? Father, we bow before you this morning, just humbled to be in your presence, God. I ask, Lord, that you would use this time that we have now, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Would you continue to reveal to us the freedom that we were created to experience, a freedom that comes in right relationship with you. Lord, we long to hear from you and to be guided by you, so we submit this time, we submit our very lives to you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, as I said a little bit earlier, we're going to be spending... A lot of time over the next six weeks in the book of Galatians. So before we even crack it open, it's important for us to understand the context that Paul writes this letter in. Now, understanding the context, anytime we open up God's word is important, but it's especially important when it comes to a letter because a letter has a sender and it has a receiver. It has an audience, a very specific audience. And in this case, Paul's audience was a group of churches in a region known as Galatia what we refer to as modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul was really familiar with this region. He had visited there years earlier. He had actually planted some of these churches. He had raised up some of these leaders. But what happened is, and what happened often with Paul, his time had passed after he had left, and so he needed to write back to remind these people of some things. Because since he had left, the Galatian churches, they were facing some opposition. They were facing some temptations, all designed to get them to, to veer away from the truths of the gospel that they had once received. In fact, they weren't just facing this opposition or this temptation. They were succumbing to it. And you're going to see that in Paul's letter. 
Because he's going to speak to that, to remind them of the gospel they received, to remind them of the freedom that they had experienced. And just so we're clear, and just so your heart's sort of prepared for what we're about to read, this is not a gentle reminder from Paul. There are times where Paul uses this flowery language. This is not one of them. Paul is direct. He is blunt. He gets straight to the point. Really, Paul's hope is to, to shake these people awake. They had fallen into this spiritual slumber, started believing these lies that were being told to them. And my hope and my prayer family is that this would do the same for us, that it would shake us awake because the world wants to lull us to sleep with lies about who Jesus is, lies about what it looks like to follow him. That's why we're called Awakened Church, we long to wake up the sleeping and to see them come to an understanding of who Jesus is, the life-changing reality of the gospel. And see, the opposition and the temptation that the Galatian churches were facing then are strikingly similar to the ones that we're facing now some 2,000 years later. Again, this is why it's so important for us to understand the context. Because the opposition that they were facing was this threat that was being presented by a false gospel. Right? People within the church who were leading others astray. And the temptation then was to believe that their faith alone was not enough for salvation. So the result then was these believers sort of jumping out of the fishbowl, so to speak, in pursuit of this false sense of freedom. It's the exact same thing we see around us today when people choose to abandon a right relationship with God in pursuit of some reconstructed religion. Let me just say, it doesn't have to be one of the, the big three to be a religion. Everybody that puts their faith in something other than Jesus is reconstructing some sort of religion. We see that all around us today. So Paul's aim is to point them back to the truths of the gospel, to point them back to where true freedom resides, in the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where he's going to point us to. That is the water we are going to swim in today. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and open those up to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, we are going to be in verses 1 through 10 this morning. Chapter 1 starts this way. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the purest evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul starts off his letter just as he normally does, right? He, he speaks to his credentials as an apostle. He says that, hey, not just my, my mission, but my message comes directly from God. And then he follows it up with this very simple but very profound declaration of the gospel, and it's one he's going to come back to time and time again throughout this letter. That Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now we're going to come back to those truths. We're going to rest in those here in just a minute. But we have to read the rest of Paul's opening remarks because he's about to embody one of our core values here at Awaken. And that's we go deep and get real. Well, Paul's about to go real deep and get really real here. So look with me at verses 6 through 10. He says, I am astonished, astonished that you are quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, I tried to tell you Paul doesn't waste any time before going deep and getting real. Already just in verse 8, he starts speaking some hard truth. Normally, this is where Paul would start kind of throwing out some roses, talking about praise and thanksgiving, but not here. He is bringing curses. He is bringing conviction. He is getting real. And when you see this, family, you have to ask yourself why. This is a break from Paul's normal pattern. So why is he doing it? Well, the answer is that Paul was extremely passionate about protecting the gospel. In fact, Paul makes it clear elsewhere that he valued the gospel above literally everything else. And the fact is, family, that the things we value most, we're going to be most passionate about protecting. I want you to think about that. Those of you who have kids, those of you who have prized possessions, the things you value most are the things you're going to be most passionate about protecting. That's why Lindsay's engagement ring comes with a certificate and his own insurance policy, and this came with a box of Cracker Jack. You know what I mean? Like the things we value most, we're going to be most passionate about protecting. And Paul is most passionate about the gospel because he understands its value. We see that not just here, but throughout his ministry, as Paul is willing to go to literally any length to proclaim and to protect the good news of Jesus Christ. So when you put it that way, it shouldn't surprise us at all that he comes out the gates swinging. He wants the churches in Galatia to understand the danger of what they are putting themselves into. The danger of where their quest for this other type of freedom will land them. Outside of the water that they were meant to live in. Separated from the relationship they were designed to be in. And so Paul's best method, at least at this time, was to write a letter. Right? So he writes a letter to all of these churches throughout Galatia. This letter would be circulated amongst the churches, read out loud, just like it is here this morning. And it was meant to point people back to the freedom they have in Jesus. And so what we're going to find now as we look a little bit deeper at the words of Paul is the reminder he gives us of some foundational truths. We're going to look at a few different things. We're going to look at three things that Christ has freed us from and three things that Christ has freed us to. So if you haven't started taking notes, now would be a really good time to do that. We're going to start with the three things that Christ has freed us from. And the first one is that he has freed us from the power of sin. Christ has freed us from the power of sin. Look with me again at verse 4. Paul talks about Christ as the one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now let me ask you a rhetorical question here. Did you see your name in that statement anywhere? Did you see Awakened Church or my name in that statement anywhere? Of course not. Because what Paul is communicating to us is that it was Christ alone who delivered us from bondage to sin. That our salvation was based on what he did, not on anything that we could ever do. See, this is crucial for us to understand, family, because the moment we insert ourselves into that equation, we put ourselves back in bondage to sin. That's why I love the popular acronym for grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense, not our own. It's Christ alone, through grace alone, that has freed us from the power of sin. Remember, without Christ, we are like fish out of water. We are just flopping around, gasping for air. We are incapable of saving ourselves. 
But God in his mercy sent Jesus to deliver us back into right relationship with him. So make no mistake, family, it's only Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that could atone for your sins. It's only Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that can free you from the power of sin. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is that we're constantly being tempted to believe that we have a part to play in our own salvation. Right? That we on our own have the power to conquer over sin. And that's the temptation that the Galatian churches were up against as well. See, in those times, there was a group of Jewish Christians that were known as the Judaizers. And what they believed is that God's grace on its own was not sufficient for salvation. They didn't just believe that. They proclaimed that, and they were getting other people to believe it as well, that they must have faith and obey the law of Moses in order to be saved. So that meant, men, you must be circumcised. And that meant, hey, everybody, you have to follow the law to the letter. And what was happening is many in the Galatian churches were believing this lie. And so they were abandoning the freedom that they were experiencing, running from relationship, and they were running towards more religion. Right? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they fell for the lie that the freedom they were experiencing, that that must not be true freedom, that surely there must be something more beyond what we are experiencing. They were led to believe the lie that Jesus, on his own, is not enough. They were led to believe the lie that faith on its own is not enough enough. And the irony is that this quest for freedom only led them back into bondage because it separated them from the very relationship they were meant to be in in the first place. That's why Paul makes it crystal clear here already right out the gates, right? That before Christ, we were captive to our sin and without him, we would still be confined to it. I'm going to say that again. Before Christ, you were captive to your sin and without him, you would still be confined to it. And I love that Paul himself actually makes the connection back to the garden as well. Look at Romans 5.18. Paul tells us, while Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone, Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. That new life he's talking about is the freedom we were designed to live in. So what does this mean for us that we have been freed from the power of sin? I know we've all heard this, but what does it actually mean? Well, it means that faith is all that's required, right? That what Jesus did for, for us on the cross, that that is enough to bring us peace with him and with each other. So faith is all that's required, and grace, family, should be all that's desired, right? We don't need to go in search of anything else. The freedom we were meant to experience is the freedom that is found in the grace of Christ alone. That's why Paul says he is astonished in verse 6. That's a strong word. Paul says he is astonished that people would turn from the free gift of grace to pursue other gospels. But the good news of the gospel isn't just that we're free from the power of sin. It's also that we're free from the penalty of it. That's the second truth for those of you taking notes this morning. We are free from the penalty of sin. Paul says Christ delivered us from the present evil age. Another word for being delivered is to be rescued. So he's pointing out that not only are we helpless in our battle against sin, but that we are going to bear the full penalty of it without Christ. Just in case you weren't aware, Paul says bluntly what the wages of our sin are in Romans 6.23. It's death. So the sacrifice of Christ is the only thing that can deliver you from the power of sin. It's the only thing that can rescue you from the penalty of it. 
And here's the deal, family. I think that right there is what makes the gospel so offensive. Because let's be honest, nobody wants to be told they are going to hell. Right? If you don't believe me, you can go ahead and go down to 6th Street, down to one of those preachers with the bullhorns, and listen to the words they get in response to that message. (laughs) Nobody wants to be told they are going to hell. And few people believe that they actually will. This is why the gospel is so offensive. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. Because in our sinful pride, we all want to believe that we are good people. At least good enough to save us from hell. But what the gospel does is it pokes at our pride. And it declares us to be hopeless without Jesus. That you will never be good enough on your own. That we are hopeless, and not just hopeless, we are helpless. Let me tell you, family, in today's day and age, with all the sensitivities, I think the most offensive thing you can call somebody is helpless. I actually had a really vivid picture of that just a couple of weeks ago. My sister and her family were here visiting, and I got to spend a lot of time with my two-year-old little niece named Reagan. And this little girl, y'all, let me tell you, she is a force to be reckoned with. She might be the most independent two-year-old I have ever met. I mean, she's like, yeah, she's wanting to do things that my five and my eight-year-old are still asking me to do for them. She is so strong. She is so independent. It is so impressive, to be perfectly honest. But her response when you try to help her, whoo, girl gets offended. All throughout the week, I just kept on hearing this one phrase, no, I do it. No, I put my shoes on. No, I buckle in. No, I start the car. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's absolutely adorable when you're two or when it's not your kid. <laughs> but not quite so adorable when you're a grown adult. And when you're rejecting the idea that another person's work can save you and not your own. This right here, family, is why the gospel is so offensive. Because it confronts our pride. It forces us to either acknowledge our helplessness or to reject God's grace just so that we can stay in charge. How often do you respond to God's grace by saying, no, I do it? That's exactly what we see the Galatian church doing. They wanted to stay in charge. And so what they chose to do to maintain that control was to add to the gospel. They thought that maybe if they gave the people some control over their own salvation, that it would make this offensive message a little bit more palatable to the masses. And as it turns out, they were actually right. Right? They found that it was a bit easier pill for the people to swallow. That at least if they came face to face with their helplessness, they'd be okay with it if there was something that they could do to help themselves. Does that make sense? So what they did is they added works to faith. And of course, nobody really batted an eye, right? Because doing good works seems on the surface to be a good thing. The challenge is when those good things become a necessary thing, it presents to the people a false gospel. They were polluting the gospel for the sake of control. In the same way that most today pollute the gospel for the sake of comfort. That's what we see in the popular gospels Uh, False gospels in our day. They're polluting the true gospel to make it more palatable to the masses. 
by preaching comfort. We see this in false gospels like the prosperity gospel, right, which promises health and wealth. Or the family values gospel, which teaches that following Jesus is simply just the way to a, a happy home. Or the self-help gospel, which teaches that following Jesus is the way to achieve all of your dreams. And the danger, family, in these false gospels, these perversions, is that they present you with good things. Right? It's a good thing to have a little bit of success. It's not a bad thing to have a little bit of money. Right? It's a good thing to have a healthy, happy family. But none of those is the gospel. It's all fool's gold. It's all meant to distract you, to deceive you, and to pull you away from the true gospel. And the sad thing is, all of these false gospels, they achieve the same result. People abandoning Christ, abandoning his grace, fleeing from the freedom that's found in a relationship with him in pursuit of something more. Listen, family, this is why we have to be on guard against false doctrine. Why we must be willing to confront the hard truths. Because in our sinful nature, we will be drawn towards control or we will be drawn towards comfort when the true gospel promises us neither of those. The only thing the true gospel guarantees us is grace. That points us to our third truth this morning, that the gospel sets us free from the shame associated with our sin. I think this one is crucial for us to understand, family. Because I think for those of us who are believers, those of us who have been walking with God, this is his favorite tool to use against us, to distract us, to deceive us. It's shame. He's been using it ever since the very first sin back in the garden. Ever since the first time that we sought our own freedom. He tempts us into sin and then piles the guilt, piles the humiliation on after we have succumbed to it. And his goal then is the same as it is now, to create as much separation between us and God as possible. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, tells us that Jesus has come to reverse the curse of sin and shame. So what that means now is that when our guilt and when our sin are exposed, we don't need to hide from God like Adam and Eve did. When guilt and sin and shame are exposed... We don't need to hide from God. We need to hide with God. We have an open invitation to hide with God. Adam and Eve, they covered up. Listen, the temptation we have, or I guess the instinct we have to hide, is not even necessarily a bad thing. So long as we hide in the refuge of Jesus Christ. So long as we hide in his shelter and his security. If we allow our weakness and our vulnerability, be, let, let those things be the very things that draw us closer to him. So the next time you encounter shame, the next time you feel that guilt and that conviction, let it draw you closer to God. Ignore the lies of the enemy that pronounce guilt and condemnation and look to the cross that declares you to be free of guilt and filled with grace. And remember the words in Psalm 103 that remind us of God's unfailing love to those who fear him. Those beautiful words that tell us that our sin are as far as the east is from the west. Christ has freed us from the power of sin. He has freed us from the penalty of it. And he has freed us from the shame associated with it. 
And once you understand what Christ has freed you from, family, you are free to embrace all of those things he has freed you to. So let's shift our focus there now. we got these three things that we have been freed to do by the good news of the gospel. The first is that we have been freed to live in peace. Look back at verse 10. Paul asks, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What he's pointing us to is a life that is lived in response to the gospel. It's a life that's not concerned about the approval of others, but rather in living in right relationship with God. This is why the gospel is meant to take us back to the garden, back to that healthy relationship dwelling with God in paradise. It's what Christ has freed us to do, right? To come before God without fear or worry, to come before God without worry of our sins being exposed because not only have they been exposed, but they have been washed free from us by the blood of the Lamb. What this means, family, is that we have nothing to prove to God. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and I felt my whole life that I had something to prove to him. And it wasn't until I realized that Jesus had already done it that I began to walk in freedom. I think somebody today needs to experience that freedom. Needs to be set free from this temptation to feel like we always have to prove ourselves to God just to swim in his grace in that environment we were meant to live in. Jesus has already declared you worthy by his sacrifice of love on the cross. All you have to do is live your life in response to it. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says about God's grace. He says this, God's grace does not come to people who morally outperform others. Thank goodness. But to those who admit their failure to perform, and who acknowledge their need for a Savior. You are freed to live in peace as a child of God. So don't strive for the freedom that you've already received. Bask in the joy of that right relationship with God. Find peace in His grace. And when you do that, family, you'll find that you are set free to serve in love. That's the second truth there. We are free to serve with love. That's right, Christ didn't just free you for you, right? God has a plan for your life. It's what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, right? That we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so what that means, family, is that when we are saved by grace, when we live by grace, is that grace flows freely from us in the way that we serve others, And it's not just because we want to win their approval. It's because we are responding in love to what Christ has already done for us. We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. And of course, Christ tells us that it's by our love, by the way that we serve others, that people know that we belong to him. You know, this past week, I was blessed to be able to spend some time with a few of our different life groups. And in one of those groups, I was visiting with a couple, and we were talking about what it looked like to share the gospel with the lost and the hurting around us. And as we talked, we, we voiced some frustrations with the limitations that can sometimes be put on us by society or by some rules in the workplace to share the gospel. And as we talked, I just kept on coming back to this one phrase. It was just serve with love. Serve them with love. Show them the grace that Jesus has shown you. 
Serve them with love, and they'll see Jesus in it. So can I challenge you this week to serve somebody with love? Not just that person that's closest to you or easiest, but maybe that person that's hardest to serve with love. Maybe that person is in your home. Maybe that person's in your office. Maybe it's that person that annoys you at HEB. Would you find a way to serve them with love? And then would you be prepared to respond with boldness and tell them why? See, Christ hasn't just freed you for you, my friend. So don't just use that freedom for yourself, as Paul says later in chapter 5. But through love, serve one another. You have been set free to live in peace and to serve with love. And lastly, as I invite the band back up, you have been set free to worship in response to God's grace. To put it simply, family, you've been freed to respond with joy-filled hearts to the one who set you free. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to center your life on him. Center your life on Jesus. That's ultimately what worship truly is. It's not just the lifting of our voices. That is simply an expression of worship. True worship is when your entire life revolves around Jesus. When you bask in the joy of a right relationship with him. When you're willing to do anything you can for him because you know he gave everything that he had for you. I want to help you understand what this looks like as I bring this message to a close. I want you to imagine that you've been given a beautiful painting. The most beautiful painting you have ever seen. And it's so stunning that when you bring it home, you're looking for a place to display it. And you look around and think, maybe I can move some furniture, maybe I can take some things off the wall, but no, this, this painting is too beautiful. It's too beautiful to simply move some things around. So you decide to reorder, rearrange your entire home. To knock down this wall. To knock down that wall. Because you don't want this painting just to be the focal point of one room. You want this painting to be the focal point of the entire house. That is what it looks like to live a life that is centered on Jesus. When you behold his glory, when you behold his beauty, and you're willing to reorder your entire life so that you might live in response to it. The reality is, family, that some of you have that painting tucked away. It's in a closet. It's in a room in the house that nobody ever sees. It's time to put Jesus at the center of your life. It's time to reorder everything else around it. I don't know what that looks like for you, but you do. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what that looks like, what in your life needs to change so that Jesus can be at the very center of it and then live your life as a reflection of that. You have freedom in Christ's family. So live in it. Walk in it. Serve with it. And worship from that place.